seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends, and thank you so much for the privilege of sharing your drive time with me. Or maybe you're listening on one of your mobile devices, perhaps even catching the podcast. I've felt led to devote the month of February to re-evaluating our pursuits. So this is our word for today and this month, pursuits. I believe it's spiritually healthy to periodically take a sober or realistic look at what drives us. This made me think about a significant event that occurred in our country on July 4th, 1776. Can you recall what that might be? It was the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And one of the most often quoted statements is, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Friends, I don't know if you've noticed it, but our modern society seems obsessed with the pursuit of happiness, even sometimes at the expense of more important things in life. Well, this spurred my curiosity to see just what the Bible says about our pursuits in life. I was amazed to discover that the Bible has some significant things to say about our pursuits. At first, I was drawn to 1 Timothy 6.11. But you, Timothy, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Well, this provided the springboard to consider two particular people in the Old Testament, Joseph and Moses. What stood out for me in Joseph's life was the period when he became successful in Egypt and particularly the scrape he got into with Potiphar's wife, who looked at him with bedroom eyes. This incident is recorded in Genesis 39, and I'd like to highlight a few pivotal verses between verse 7 and 15. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But Joseph refused and told her, in part, My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. 
How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now the text goes on to tell us that she taunted him day after day, but Joseph refused her countless gestures and fled from her. With regard to Moses, what I found especially interesting was what is said about him by the New Testament writer of Hebrews. Here, Moses' life is pretty much summed up in two sentences, Hebrews eleven twenty four and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Wow! Imagine putting that on your tombstone for all to read. The text then supplies us with a sort of summary statement in verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. Well, friends, I soon discovered that nowhere is the theme of our pursuits in this life more powerfully expressed than in Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Did you notice the repeated use of I press on? A few other ways to express this are, I keep on running, I keep striving, or I continue trying to reach it, or even I keep working toward. Friends, each of these more modern translations attempt to capture the sense of pursue, which is the literal translation here. So we begin to see that the biblical understanding of pursuit or pressing on carries with it the idea that this pursuit is a passionate endeavor. Now, in classical Greek literature, this word pictures an animal pursuing a prey, like a hound dog on a trail of a fox, pursuing it all day long. The spiritual parallel and application for us is that we have a lifelong pursuit in front of us. We are to press on, run after, seek after, even go so far as persecute. Yes, friends, this is part of the meaning of the word too, but persecute in the good sense of being passionate, relentless, full of zeal. Our spiritual pursuit is to be done with eagerness and diligence, with the goal of obtaining what we pursue. 
Friends, we should take on Philippians 3.14 as our personal pursuit passage, maybe even our life verse for 2020. Now, Scripture clearly doesn't leave us to pursue our Christian life like lone rangers. It's not just me and Jesus. It's not just a personal pursuit. Scripture addresses us as a body of believers. In Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, we find, let us, repeated four times. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. By the way, consider here carries the meanings of contemplate, look closely, be observant. The phrase spur one another on also means stimulate, or as the King James translators chose, provoke. These are strong English words and are appropriate here. So, friends, this is what we are to be doing with one another. Don't we owe this to our brothers and sisters? Shouldn't we be observant for ways we might provoke or spur one another on to love and good deeds? So, this becomes our corporate pursuit. What deeply disturbs me, friends, is when I observe the lives of many Christians and discover they are goalless Christians. In other words, they are not pressing on toward the mark of the upward call, as we saw in Philippians 3. Scripture clearly reveals that God has goals for us to adopt. He has pursuits for us to be moving toward. Sadly, friends, I've noticed two extremes that are prevalent in the church today. One, God does everything, and therefore we don't have to do anything. Or two, we do everything. Sure, God starts us off, but then we take it from there. Actually, the secret of the Christian life boils down to this simple yet profound truth. So listen carefully. The Christian life is a divine human cooperation with the goal or pursuit being Christ-likeness. The Apostle Paul makes this clear in Romans 8.29 when he tells us that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And this divine human cooperation theme appears again in Paul's words in Colossians 1.29. I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. 
And the cool thing, friends, is that this word striving is where we get our English word agonize. This certainly puts an interesting spin on this verse, doesn't it? I labor agonizing according to his power, which mightily works within me. This is not a works relationship with God. Everything we do is through God's grace and power made available and afforded to us by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. I think, friends, that perhaps a critical question we might want to ask ourselves is, am I appropriating this power that's available to me? Now, I'm here to assure you that this protects us from guilt trips, especially for those of us who may be particularly self-conscious. Some of us, when we hear the emphasis on the human dimension of the Christian life, you know, striving, pressing on, etc., we immediately feel guilty, don't we? Come on, be honest. Haven't you thought, oh, no, Another thing I have to do. Maybe even right now we're thinking back to some New Year's resolutions we made and which now are defunct. Maybe we started the year out well, but now have lost our steam. Another thing to feel guilty about, right? How easy it is for us to forget the divine dimension So let me repeat, everything we do is through God's grace and power made available and afforded to us by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, this goal of pursuit of Christ-likeness is manifested by many pursuits that occur over time in our Christian walk as we grow and are led by the Holy Spirit and his various ordained teachers and influencers in the body of Christ. One of these pursuits is wisdom. Proverbs 4 tells us to get or acquire wisdom. And what's meant here is gaining it, owning it, even buying it if necessary, and recovering it if lost. Interestingly enough, the pursuit of wisdom is ultimately the pursuit of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 reminds us that Christ became to us wisdom from God. A second pursuit is love. Earlier, I read Hebrews 10.24 saying, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Remember? Well, again, in 1 Corinthians 14.1, the Apostle Paul specifically commands us to pursue love. And curiously enough, friends, pursuing love is ultimately pursuing Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, we're reminded that it's the love of Christ that controls us or constrains us, as some translations say. 
And let me just remind us all of something I've shared previously in these broadcasts. Scripture defines love for us, doesn't it? We're not left to define it on our own. In 1 Peter 2, Peter instructs us to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Please allow me to take the concise route to defining love, agape love, that is. This is the kind of love that should characterize us and form the foundation for all that we do. When we distill agape love down in the Bible, we discover that agape love is giving love. In other words, it doesn't give people what they deserve, but what they need. Agape love is deliberate love. In other words, it operates by our will, not by our feelings. Agape love is benevolent love. In other words, it is self-sacrificing and committed. Agape love is not prejudicial love. In other words, it doesn't show partiality, favoritism, or is discriminating. Agape love is unconditional love. Agape love is love in action. In other words, it's love that meets needs. I hope we're all beginning to see that pursuing love is a lifelong pursuit, isn't it? One of my favorite traditional hymns is When I Survey. Verse 2 says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Friends, there are certainly plenty of vain things out there in the world seeking to charm us, aren't there? But as Christ followers, I believe that we should be periodically re-evaluating our pursuits. Perhaps these few questions might help guide us. Do we have our minds set on what we are to be pressing on towards? Do we have a goal for our spiritual life and development? Are we goal-centered Christians? In other words, do we have our pursuits in order? My wife and I are sci-fi buffs, particularly space science fiction, and especially the Star Trek genre. I recall an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called Hollow Pursuits. This title was a play on words, a play on the word hollow. If you're not Star Trek savvy, you'll need to know that the Starship Enterprise has holodecks, as in holograms, where the crew may be entertained or challenged themselves in this specially equipped room. In this episode, one crew member was a very nervous guy. He stuttered, was socially awkward, especially with his superior officers. So the holodeck was the perfect getaway. Here he reenacted his own reality where he was in command of every situation. 
Here he could retreat from the real world, program the holodeck, and live under his own reality for a while, hence the title Hollow Pursuits. But friends, as Christ followers, we don't have to fall prey to hollow pursuits, do we? Scripture certainly provides plenty for us, like 1 Timothy 6.11. But you, Timothy, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. As I was exploring this topic of pursuits, the theme of pursuing and fleeing kept cropping up. Take 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Now there's a list to be working on, right? Pursuing? How about 1 Peter 3, 10 through 11? Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongues from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. How about Hebrews 12:14? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless. <laughs> I've never seen this verse on a plaque or framed and hanging on a wall at a friend's home. How about Romans 14:19? Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. This last phrase could be stated Pursue building up one another. How about Romans 12, 13? Pursue hospitality, not just in homes, but within the body of Christ, the church. Friends, what's fascinating here is that these pursue passages are in the continuous tense and written as commands. We're commanded to pursue these things all the time. Wow! And these passages are contrasted with a provocative statement of James in James 1.11. The rich in the midst of their pursuits will fade away. Now, please don't say that since I'm not rich, I'm off the hook here. Take a moment and read all of James 1. His point here is both rich and poor need wisdom to live. Wisdom to discern what best to pursue. Both rich and poor will eventually die. You see, the subtle question between the lines of chapter 1 is, since all of us are going to die, in the midst of what pursuits will we be found? 
Well, Scripture really helps us to choose our pursuits wisely by showing us what opposites to flee. We're to flee controversies, strife, disputes, envy, abusive language, suspicion, youthful lusts, immorality, idolatry. Man, this list can seem overwhelming, can it? But I believe that the intent of Scripture is to enlighten us Christ followers that the Christian life is a delicate balance between pursuing and fleeing. Good opportunities, friends, will always present themselves, and bad ones will assault us with a vengeance. Our responses can generally be broken down to what ones we pursue or what ones we flee. So perhaps the ultimate question before us is, how do we wish to be found in our pursuits? Imagine what might be learned if a slice was taken out of our lives and scrutinized to reveal our pursuits. Would these pursuits tell the true story of our lives? I think back to the decade of the 1970s and a popular, influential, and well-loved Christian musician, Keith Green. He pursued evangelism and discipleship with a passion. In the midst of his pursuits, he was taken unexpectedly and tragically in a plane crash. I remember that day at work, a friend called me to see if I had heard the news. She remarked, you know, if God could take him, then he could take me too, or anybody for that matter. I better get my house in order. What I heard her say was, do I have my pursuits in line with God's? Are my pursuits heavenly pursuits or just hollow pursuits? Well, maybe this is a good place to conclude our ponderings today. Maybe this is the premier question we should think about and ask ourselves in this new decade. Are our pursuits heavenly pursuits or hollow pursuits? Well, we're actually at the end of today's program. It would be my honor to be praying for you, especially as this new decade 2020 is rapidly unfolding before our eyes. Today's broadcast will close with an email where I can be contacted. This email is also where you may contact me to learn how you can financially come alongside and help this listener-supported program. Thank you for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.